Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books and related works by Stephen King and movies of those related works that happen to feature cameos by Stephen King. Um, my name is Cole Ross, and today I am joined by Gwen. Hey, Gwen. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you so much for coming on. I am it's so excited to be here. Uh, this is a very interesting movie. Absolutely. Um, and this movie that we're talking about, in case the title of the episode didn't give it away, um, is It Chapter 2. Um, I forget, were you on to talk about the uh, the first episode or the, for the, the first chapter? I was. It was me, you, and Jeremy. Cool. Yeah. Um, so th- th- that that's great that we have that we have that continuity here. Uh, yeah. So the the you know the the finale of the It Saga came out here um, about a week ago, as of when we're recording, I believe. That's when I saw it. Anyway, and uh, you saw it last night. Is that correct? Yes. Cool. Um, and yeah. So I was very uh, to remind you, I was pretty enthusiastic about the first one. I liked it a mm-hmm. good deal, and uh, the book is not my uh i don't really love the book i think the book's interesting yeah uh, <laughs> I, I, I think i think that we're, we're we're coming at this not from opposite but from but but from slightly different directions um i i'm a big fan of the book i think that it is um really good (laughs) in in terms of being a uh you know a semi-lovecraftian story that is also about growing up and how shitty small towns are Uh, there's a whole lot going on here um i loved it chapter one but i have some just general like mainly structural and casting problems with it chapter two although there are fantastic moments and fantastic scares here i did not mean to blindside you with my with, with my somewhat um, ambivalent feelings on the movie. <laughs> no, you're fine. Well, so chapter two, I'd mm-hmm. say like, if we're going to, we should probably just say this up front. I think mixed bag is the easiest way I can put this movie. Yes. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's, I, th- I think that's fair to say. And that's where I come down on it while still, while still gen- generally liking it. I think that the, the stuff that makes me come out positive is like, a, you know, a, a good handful of things that really, really buoy it. Yeah. Um, so you said you were, you were listening to the uh, to the audiobook uh, of it uh, when we were talking in the green room here. That's the uh, the Stephen Weber one. Um, I think so. That's the guy who took over Dark Tower near the end, right? No, no. Stephen Weber is the uh, <laughs> he's the main character, the, the main actor on Wings. Um, and he uh, the he, guy who voiced Superman in the nineties. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. He. I don't, he, he, I don't think it's him. I, okay. have to, I have to look. I think it's the guy who took over after the the first Dark Tower dude passed. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so George Guadal, kind of the old uh, the the old guy. I think so. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Just the uh, the the audiobook version of it is uh, is is a little bit. Um, uh it, it it is a little bit controversial because of because of some of the some of the uh d- d- delivery what, what what is sticking out about the book that is uh um kind of bothering you about it so i i feel like the book is the book really loves sex as a metaphor yeah. and like that is a hmm it does it never feels like a fully formed thought but it's always something that's on the edge of Stephen King's mind yeah. uh it comes through with the leper like any chapter focused on Bev uh like th- the amount of times that King just offhandedly says and then they see a pretty girl is like off the charts yeah um it's 
I just don't like that's the aspect of the book that like I'm kind of glad the movie excised a little. But it's also like I understand that it's connected to the growing up part, the puberty part, that sudden change of like I am an adult now and things are different. Um, Like I said, I like there's a lot of interesting stuff about the book. Mm -hmm. And like if I'm really picking one thing. And uh, this is just going to be just a philosophical difference between you and me, Cole, and that's perfectly okay. (laughs) Stephen King just is a bit of a wanderer in terms of writing style, and that's just never going to be something that I 100%, you know, jive with. Gotcha, gotcha. So in terms of he he kind of just – do you think that he meanders when he is within a scene, or is it more of like a macro kind of problem? But, like, uh, I think a little bit of both, like, because they're, like – if I took a red pen to Stephen King's writing, there's like lots of sections where he'll like uh, sort of like insert character thought in the middle of action sequence. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. We're like, no, no, like during the middle of describing and uh, objective action going uh, and that like that's not something I think particularly works when he uses it. He's very loose and yeah. I totally get it. He's, he he just gets words on the page and um. Hmm. It's just, you know, it's a he's not attempting to achieve a tight product and that's not his goal. So that's like I can't like judge him for not delivering something that I am expecting on that level because that's (laughs) not what he's attempting to do. So like I accept him for what he is and I enjoy his work for what it is. It'll just never be one of my favorite things. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, Absolutely. As a as a just a stylistic uh, incompatibility. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, when he talks about his process, too, you know, he talks about never really uh, plotting things out. In fact, actively works against that as as an idea Um, and how he can come together with something as um, interleaved, let's say, as it is without (laughs) without, let's say, like a kind of discipline associated with that or like a forethought is a little bit of a miracle. But, yeah, you can see you can you can see where he has left those ragged edges for sure. And uh, but like with the wandering, the one thing that I do think is very interesting about the book over the movie is that I feel like the book 100 percent sells the idea of dairy being a corrupted place like Mm -hmm. it it there's something in the water. It is in the water like that (laughs) is something that very much works in the book that I think the movie it like could never quite like grasp that metaphor because the movie just couldn't have that scope because here's another issue I have with the movie when you're talking about it in a macro sense um <laughs> it just uh it, it's long it's long in a way that it doesn't feel earned or justified right um, specifically part two, you know, and, and we, and we can kind of get into it, you, you know, uh, my, my plan here isn't to do like a total plot rundown as we usually do. It's a new movie and people can go see it, uh, but more to kind of look at it, you know, broadly about what it, what it accomplishes and just talk about high level things, um, as regards it being really long, you know, even aside from being broken apart into two different pieces i think that the second one suffers from some pacing problems that the first one absolutely does not i would say part two is structured and paced like a fucking avengers movie (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and i was thinking about it the entire time it's like I accepted part one as a comedy because I thought it was trying to sort of paint a rose colored lens over their childhood years. And part two being a comedy, 
or at least it didn't sell the dark haunted part as hard as I thought it was trying to, or like attempt part one was setting up a part two to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, um, when, when I call it like a really good Lovecraftian kind of story, it's, you know, not just because it deals with a cosmic monster from, from, from out of space, but a good deal. There are whole chapters of the book and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this, you know, later on when we finally get around to talking about the book itself, the book has long stretches of Mike Hanlon's research you know, talking about the history of the town, talking about the fire that happens, um, you know, at the spot, talking about the, you know, the factories that collapsed and things. And you start to see the pattern just of the unmitigated disaster that happens and the apathy that is, you know, swept over the entire town. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think the chances are they're going to do like a Watchmen style, the Black Frigate style animatron? <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the DVD special. <laughs> I have no, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, that's my favorite part of the book is, 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 you know, learning about the history and you get a little bit of that, but they, they make up out of whole cloth. Mike's, you know, in the movie, you know, Mike is the one who stayed around and, and did research onto the origins of it. So uh, big ups to keeping him as a thing that fell from a meteor. Big down to, oh, I found some Native Americans on the edge of town who know about the ritual of Hood. <laughs> okay, so that was that was new. Um, yeah. I did want to. Could you give me a quick breakdown? Because <laughs> like I'll so like I'll say the first. It story I knew was the the old movie, the Tim Curry TV yeah, thing. Yeah. So like the I don't 100 percent know the back half of it as well as I know the front half. So what are the major differences between the original story and what we got in the movie? So um, the major difference, I think, first structurally is that throughout the book and throughout the, um, um, you know, the other tellings of it you know, on, on that is that everything is kind of interleaved. So the climax of what is it chapter one happens alongside the climax of chapter two. Okay. That's what I thought. Cause I was reading. Cause so I, I've been, when I was said, I listened to eight hours of the audiobook. I skipped a good chunk of the beginning because I read like the first 300 pages solidly like 10 years ago. And I yeah, remember yeah. it very vividly, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I got through a lot. Like I'm in, neck deep in like part four of the book mm -hmm. and i think that's like out of five anyway yeah uh but the point is mm -hmm. uh i was i kept i kept expecting the the kids to like go into the go into the house and go uh confront it the monster but it, like it still hasn't happened and uh yeah. like we've already done the scenes where the where the adults are walking through town and that's the other thing that the book can get across i think better than the movies but the movie does attempt to do this on a different level is provide this idea of echoes yes. of repeating like concepts mm -hmm. In the in in the uh, in the book version of it, um, you know what happens. What happens is there is no like quest to go find tokens. Um, you know, it, like it's not necessarily like, hey, we need to grab these artifacts and bring them and sacrifice them or what have you. Mike, it's about triggering their memories, right? Yeah, it's and about saying your intuitions <laughs> and the threads that like it is leading them on. Yes, just just to go because they had lost so much of themselves by being separate from um, from the town. They needed to you know to spend a day and go basically recover everything. And all of the stories of the past are told as they are going through in the present day, and. 
that is set against kind of the the the, the repeats. So you get Richie kind of being terrified and weirded out by the big lumberjack statue, and then in in modern day being chased around by it as it you know starts you know as it becomes animate you know as it goes full on just don't look Simpsons kind of style. Now the the tokens are a very video game centric kind of conceit, but like for a movie of this pacing, I understand the need to concede that. Yes. Um, I, the uh, I'm trying to think. The I think the tokens. I, I, I thought the tokens were fine. What about mm-hmm. you? It was fine. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a shorthand, and it, it provides a little bit more motivation than hey, you just need to go remember, which I think can happen in a book, but in a movie, it would make the middle part of this feel very mushy. And it also provides a visual symbol for the audiences to latch on to, which is yeah. important when you're trying to build it in a visual sense. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's see. Uh, yeah, where do we want to go from here? There's yeah. so many threads. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about the casting? About what people on the internet seem to be uh, irritating. Oh, to me, is irritating. They refer to it as glow-ups um, of the uh, of the Losers Club. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I got to say, the only two people I was actually familiar with before this movie, and I'm actually probably going to just do some quick Googling while we're talking, because mm-hmm. I'm sure I recognize some of these actors. Yeah, yeah. Is- were Bill Hader and Jessica Chastain who played Beverly. Yes. Um, Were you familiar with anyone else? uh, James McAvoy. Um, Familiar with him from uh, from X-Men. Which one is he? I don't recognize. He looks like a white guy to me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, he was Bill. Uh, Oh, yes. That makes sense. Okay. (laughs) He was was the boring one. Yeah, if somebody's listening and is, is super mad. Oh, it's the um, the Mike was. Oh my god, what the man your man could smell like what? from the old spice commercials. Is he? Yes, Isaiah huh. Mustafa. Okay, yeah, no, that that didn't stick out to me at all. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't, you know, I didn't recognize anybody, anybody else. Uh, the one that's super creepy is, uh, uh, I guess his name is, J- uh, James Ransone, uh, is, or wait, no, uh, yes, James Ransone, who played Eddie, he looks exactly like that fucking kid. I loved him, actually. <laughs> he was my favorite of the surprises. He was so good. <laughs> um, he, he's, a so he was in Sinister, which, uh, Sinister 1 and 2, and not the main character, I think, I think he played, like, a bit player. Those are fun movies, by the <laughs> way, if you've never seen them. I have not. Uh, it's, a you, you should read the description later, but it's, a everyone, watch Sinister 1, it's pretty fun. Cool. Anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, Eddie's grown-up counterpart was my favorite of the new cast that I didn't know about. Yeah. I thought he did a fantastic job. And uh, he what's interesting about him as an actor is like I kind of got like this weird mix of like John Hamm and um, the guy. Did you ever watch Mad Men? <laughs> um, I have watched the first two episodes many times. Gosh, no, not in the first two episodes, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, there's a character. He's a comedian. I can never remember this actor's name. He's got a very distinct smile and eyebrows. His name's like Jimmy Smits or something. Yeah, I recognize the name. Yeah. yeah, but like uh, some weird combo of those two people. I said, you know, I just recognized I said uh, John Hamm and have you ever seen Mad Men? Like I was going to follow that up with more information about John Hamm. <laughs> that was a very weird train of thought. No, I'm no, so I, 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 I was I was totally following you. I, you know, I, you, so one might recognize John Hamm from like 30 Rock or something like that. 
and he's yes. he, he, he is a person he is a person who is popular in alt comedy stuff yeah he's not like he's not Mad Men anymore Mad right. Men is just an ecosystem that he was in at this point yeah anyway <laughs> your thoughts on Cass um, my thoughts on Cass. So I was, um, uh, the, 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 the big, you know, runaway with this, and this is the consensus that I have seen, uh, Bill Hader, uh, his casting as Richie was tremendous. I thought, um, I expected big things from him and I think he did a really good job, especially and- he was the only one who actually him and Eddie were the only ones who actually carried forward their energy from the first movie. <laughs> It seems like Jessica got Jessica Chastain got so close, but she's uh, I feel like adult Bev because she's supposed to be broken. It's not good. Yeah, she didn't have an arc is the thing, right? Yes. Like Bev and the Bev in the book has an arc. Um, and this is a little bit helped out by the fact that her ex-husband chases her to dairy. Um, but she has an arc where she eventually gets her confidence back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and when she when she when she gets around everybody and specifically, you know, realizes it wasn't Bill who wrote the note. It was it was Ben, et cetera. Man, Ben was super flat. I I didn't care for Ben, uh, Ben's actor it's... or portrayal at all. So here's the, here's something. OK, I'm going to have to save this controversial thought for a minute. But yes, <laughs> they made a mistake. Whoever they cast for Ben, that was very poor. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, literally, you can't just say, here's this kind, sensitive kid, and we're going to make him not fat, and now he's just boring and handsome? <laughs> I, I mean, compared to, you know, I, I don't, I, they probably had a reason for not going with a John Ritter type. Ben's portrayal in the in the TV miniseries, I think, you know, th- that alone made him, like, an incredible, you know, one of my favorite characters in the story. Um, man yeah man i don't know if you're from what's john ritter's son's name jason ritter i'm not sure if you're familiar with his ovoir but jason ritter would have made a great ben honestly had no idea he (laughs) he voices dipper on gravity falls anyway (laughs) yeah well what was the controversial thought that you had to stow I if I were a movie executive greenlighting this movie, I would have asked the screenwriter to fold two of these characters together. Ooh. Uh which two? Yeah. Ooh, see that's that's probably where I don't know if I have a hard answer, but I feel like gosh, I don't feel like Ben adds a ton to the story the way it is. Right. But and but I also kind of feel that way about Mike unfortunately mike is really underutilized in this yes and it's more the it's more the problem of having too many characters i think than anything else they just don't have the time to spend with him or ben and so Mm -hmm. it's like if so if those are the two that are going to get uh the short you know short part of the stick anyway we might as well fold them maybe yeah yeah I mean, I was going to save this for a final summation, but I think that, you know, while we're talking about there being too many characters and this is paced like an Avengers movie, et cetera, you know, I would looking looking at this and taking even my affection for chapter one, um, you know, into account, I think that I would have much rather all of this be done as like a 10 episode Netflix series with a substantially reduced budget. (laughs) I definitely understand that because there was a sort of shiny gloss to all the effects that was a little unfortunate. Yeah, like what, what was the deal? Like they, they they really relied on a particular effect, like making everything look like you had just taken a bunch of uh, like mushrooms or acid. Oh yeah, the like mm, I definitely know what you're talking about. Yeah, the, the one. 
the one that was really uh, driving me up the wall, and I don't even know why, it was near the end when you were in the crater, like just like the the shininess on the rock. I know it's supposed to be like obsidian or something, but it just <laughs> right. didn't look real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, just uh, j- j- just in general, like I-, I would have taken I would have taken the budget hit in order to let the let the story breathe a little bit more because you do end mm-hmm. up with stuff like the like the opening of this where they're getting the band back together. And it feels just way, way too breathless as we're being introduced to these new characters. Um, once they get to Derry, it's pretty fine for, you know, for, for, for a while because, you know, even hit chapter one had kind of an episodic kind of feel to it. You know, it was going from kind of scare scene to scare scene to scare scene. And that was, that was a okay to me. Yeah. So I do, I do still, uh, stick by our original summation of the first movie like i still think this is a fun haunted house film yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways like this is a good film to like turn on for halloween when you got a bunch <laughs> of friends over yeah and maybe fast forward through the lesser bits i don't know <laughs> yeah to make make your own super cut of uh of, of it. <laughs> just a just a single five hour long movie <laughs> Yeah. Um, another thing that I feel like is a little bit wasted in this and speaking just a little bit to the too many characters, um, Henry Bowers is such an important part of the books and he was a pretty big deal in the first, uh, in the, you know, in the, in the, in the first movie. Um, Should have been used a different way entirely. Yep. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I like how, you know, the, I like the fact that Richie is able to save Eddie, um, especially with that, with that aspect of the plot that they put in. Um, and I don't know how much I have to say about that aspect of the plot. I thought it was appropriate, um, specifically revealing that Richie is gay and that is the secret he had been hiding, um, from lots of people. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. And it's good that Henry was able to, Henry was able to, um, uh, help him, help them underline that to a certain extent. But yeah, there were, there was not enough of, not enough Henry, uh, especially as compared to how well he's used in the books. Definitely gonna have to put a pin in the gay thing because that's a thing we got to talk about. Yes. But uh, the uh, Henry specifically, it's hmm, it's more just how quick <laughs> he shows up for one scene in Derry. Yep, one scene <laughs> that lasts two minutes. Yeah, and this is this is them cutting away. Uh, uh, what's uh, Bill's wife's name? Adrian, Aiden, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cutting her storyline out, cutting uh, Bev's a husband out, and folding it all into his like this being the one physical manifestation of it trying to go after them, mm-hmm. and it's one scene where Richie stabs him in the head with a fucking uh, fire poker, and that's yeah, it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> like and they understand <laughs> on a functional level that's supposed to be the scene of Richie be, like coming back and being like I'm in I got because like that's because Richie's the one who's battling the big secret of yeah, like yeah yeah uh, so he's got that extra weight which is why he keeps trying to walk away and mm-hmm. but that's just that was such a poor use of the tool they had yeah. So it, it's just, it's, it, it, yeah, it's a real waste and who knows how much room there would have been, um, for them to, you know, to, to, to highlight the fact that Henry was a, you know, just a physical piece that was put on the board. 
Um, but as it stands, like it doesn't really make any sense why he was brought there if it wasn't explained as that. Because I mean, to just 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 lay things out in the in the, in the book, Penny in the book, Pennywise is a little bit insecure about his ability to affect and harm the adults. So he starts, you know, attracting all of these, you know, independent physical people that he has brought to the edge, you know, in order to stop everybody and. Um, you know, here he attacks Eddie in the book. He attacks Mike, which makes way more sense, given the fact that in the, given the fact that Henry is a fucking racist who blames mm-hmm. all of his misfortune on Mike and his family. Yeah, just um, that part's a bit of a mess. Yeah, the, I, I don't I liked whoever that actor was, even though like he had very little to do, but <laughs> I know, thought he carried it. He did, he did a very good job. Um, I like the line, you need to cut off your mullet. It's not 30 years ago or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I, I, we, we mentioned saving the, saving the Richie being gay subplot for, 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 for later. I don't know that I have an awful lot to add to it. Um, okay. Then it, here are my quick thoughts on okay. it. Um, I do think, I do like that it, it further drives that dairy has haunted them for, uh, all their lives because like that was in the book. I, you know, the obviously the uh, anti-queer sentiment has always been part of the dairy subculture, even in the book years. Yeah. Um, So uh, I I do like that it sort of strong gives them a stronger connection to that very specific uh, hatred that they grew up around and just sort of had to absorb. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought. It was just a hair too subtle because it took me a minute after seeing all the information for me to click the dots. Okay. Am I stupid? <laughs> I, I, no, I don't think so. Like it, um, and I, 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 I can't say, I don't think you're stupid. <laughs> I, I, I respect your intelligence, Gwen. No, no. Um, I, they, they, they do treat it very subtly and there, there could be a benefit of the doubt and it's not strictly revealed until the end when we see him carving the name on the, or recarving the name on the bridge. Um, I, I think possibly it also had a little bit to do where I, I kept seeing E. I saw R plus E and I was like, well, I remember R is Richie, but I forget who E is already. Oh, yeah. You, for, just... you forgot Eddie's name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just too many characters. And like, this is like, seriously, it's not. It's just that the fact that there are so many uh people on screen and like this is my problem in the book too like i just the i was trying i was struggling to try to uh remind my wife what stanley's role was in the first movie oh right and like i i you know in the in my i can think of it now that he was the logical one the one that was like so you know i have everything i do have a question about stanley okay was his note in the book was it part of some gambit the entire time, or is that a movie invention? I believe it's a movie invention. I think that he did write a note that made its way to them, but the the, the idea is that they they have to face the, the losers club has to face it severely diminished. So Mike is Mike is taken off the board by Henry and Stanley. Um, St- Stanley um, is uh, you know he killed himself. And, you know, so they go with five out of the seven, I believe, is, is what it ultimately is. Um, it is not like a gambit where he says, you know, we ha- we would have to face him. So I killed myself so I wouldn't chicken out or I chickened out now so I wouldn't chicken out later. 
Oh my god, that's because I when that happened, I was like, that I don't remember this. This seems very <laughs> unnecessary. Yeah, it, it's it's a way to give him it's a way to give him a little bit more of um a little bit a little bit more of a role in the story that like oh he he succeeded because of his because they succeeded because of his sacrifice. It's a pretty light way to treat suicide, I think actually. Well, let's go back to this thing is cut like an Avengers movie because every triumph is uh, accompanied by a swelling score of strings. Yeah. And it is overwhelming and strange. Uh, it is not the it feels very off for the tone visually of what we're dealing with a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah. No, it just. Um, Oops. Yeah, it, it like that that letter that he wrote. It came across like the uh, the letter that what not Judd Hirsch, whatever his name is, Judd Nelson <laughs> writes at the end of the Breakfast Club. Yeah, you know, like you you will you will see us. <laughs> you will you will see us for what we are, not what you consider us to be. Blah, blah, blah. Losers forever. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, just just picturing them, you know, getting ready to jump into the reservoir and throwing their arms up in triumph, like. Yeah, it was it was a little bit tonally all over the place. Um, I really liked Stanley's role in the first book as a little bit of asymmetry between the uh, the first book. Fuck me. Um, as a little bit of asymmetry between the past and the present, but also, again, a very Lovecraftian idea of the person who is too rational and cannot square any of what's happening. And because because of that mismatch, he cannot continue to face it. You know, and here they just wipe that away with, you know, with Richie saying he was too weak. So have we done enough legwork to just sort of go down through some scenes at this point? I think we can. Yeah. OK, so I do. Let's OK, let's talk about Mike and the Native Americans. Um, Where did that? <laughs> OK, the so Chud, is that a Stephen King idea? Yeah, this has nothing to do with 2019 Hell World. Um, or and, or <laughs> uh, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, I'm assuming. Yeah, so uh, what, written out, uh, there should be an umlaut over the over the U. Um, uh, yeah, so chewed, or if if you are taking this as you know, like, like an Eastern language, or you know, uh, you know, something from the Middle East, it'd be the ritual chewed. Um, you know, and so the ritual of Chud, uh, just sounds really dumb and bad to me. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it sounded like they said ritual of Chud at some point. <laughs> bad. It was a very strange choice. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and, uh, you know, in the book it's, you know, he, he learns about it as a result of reading like t Tibetan scrolls and things like that. The idea being, you know, the ritual of, 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 of would be uh, a, picture, a picture to human keeping a demon locked down in place by uh, biting on its tongue. Okay, so but it's it's a so there already was a weird mystic Eastern element to the original. Yeah, the, the, the idea is, the idea being that Pennywise is not necessarily unique. That there were others of these that that indeed fell, and canonically in the Dark Tower, Crimson King is of a similar ilk. We're going to meet another character um, in Book Seven that um, is 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 basically the same species as as Pennywise. As Pennywise uh, yes, is, yes. Um, and it's strongly implied in eleven twenty two sixty three that one of these is living under Dallas. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So, deadlights are the, is that the actual form of the creatures? Yes. The, the, and the, that's 
Okay, keep going. Yeah, the the the, the deadlights are not just a spell that they cast, or you know, in in the movie here, it is portrayed as a thing that lives inside his head. It's actually something that lives outside the universe. And what we see here, you know, the Pennywise that we get is a projection into our universe, um, kind of carried on the residue of the uh, of, of of the meteor. So, you know, in the ritual of of, of Trude, the uh, the um, <laughs> the penalty of taking the uh, of, of failing is that you are sucked out of the universe and thrown into the deadlights. Your Ooh, your your mind and your soul and your body is just kind of left there, you know, as an empty husk. Yeah. I liked almost all the effects of the deadlights, except that they were just like a hair too much like a PS4 pause menu. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, they were they were very pretty to look at, and that didn't seem right. Mm-hmm. They should have been, I feel like, menacing and like bright in a way that seemed uh, incomprehensible, but and which yeah. they were partially, but like, you know, movie effects. Mm-hmm. What are you supposed to do? Yeah. Um, it, a- absolutely. Especially it looks even more PS4 menu-y after they succeed in the ritual to a certain extent and they 100%. turn blue. <laughs> yeah. But like the, Started like cycling through the colors. <laughs> um, so th- th- this is an, inc- you know, an incredibly small quibble, but, uh, Mike's magic leather ritual box, uh, is a, is a dumb prop and I do not care for it one bit. Ooh, it was it was pretty bad, but it was pretty. It was also very comical to watch a giant balloon start squeezing out of it. That's so true. yeah, I'm, I'll I'm, give them that. I'll like, agree with I, that. I think they <laughs> they picked that shape specifically for the cookie jar type top. You yes. know, yeah, I would agree with that. That is a very good, especially how gigantic that balloon gets. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cutting a little bit before the, uh, the, the Native American stuff, I gotta say one of my favorite scenes is in the, um, is in the Chinese restaurant where they start putting together the, um, the, the message, like they, how they, how each, each, uh, fortune cookie has a single word and that's how they find out about Stanley's death. Yes. And I know that's an invention of the movie because in the book, they just bite into the fortune cookies and get them bunch of guts in their mouth yes. which is a which is a fun scene in the book um uh-huh. but anyway no that's a that, that was a very cute scene um yeah. though uh it stressed me it, out that them all them all yelling over each other like uh like like <laughs> the characters from it's always sunny in philadelphia <laughs> like just how stressed all of them were there's a lot going on there that's really good yeah it's like the worst game of wheel of fortune ever <laughs> yeah. um and that was a very good scene. Uh, then Bill Hader's confrontation with the kid, who is an extension of the skateboard kid from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, does does the kid die in the book? I haven't gotten that far. I forget. But either way, so in the movie, though, the, I'm just going to link some scenes together. This good. kid's going to end up uh, being used as bait by Pennywise in a hall of mirrors to get Bill, you know, to get some fear juice out of Bill. Yes. To, to, to marinate Bill just a little bit more. Um, I, I was too busy laughing at the Hall of Mirrors. I was picturing the end of that uh, Chuck Norris movie where he fights. <laughs> he, he fights somebody or it, it was like a it was, it was like a Jet Li movie or something like that where he fought somebody in a Hall of Mirrors. Um, sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I would need to look up and see exactly what I'm talking about. I was too busy thinking about that. Like that scene was good. As far as like the random kid death scenes go, I was way more into the little girl under the bleachers. 
Oh, the bleacher scene was the the best random death of the movie. <laughs> I just love those scenes where they just you get to see his name's Bill Skarsgård, right? I believe Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Skarsgård. Too many bills. Um, <laughs> Bill Skarsgård uh, getting to actually like let loose and actually act instead of just be a monster man is uh-huh. so it's so good because like it really that th- there's a so the big break sequence is or sorry, the big great sequence in that is there's a point where he tells the little girl to count to three to blow out the candle, right? Mm-hmm. And that he pauses between two and three and he does his dead eye, I'm going to drool face. And mm-hmm. it, uh, that's such a wonderful sequence. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, just to like, like instantly, it has to be over the course of just a handful of frames when he uh, chomps her head off. Yeah. Oh, so good. Pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I liked that quite a bit. Also because it underlined how ridiculous it is that a clown would be uh, at all alluring in uh in in the modern day like Mm -hmm. putting that scene in where the idea is like oh nobody wants to come near me because i'm a clown and people make fun of the way i look like well yeah like like yeah but like that 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 makes more sense in a story that is set in the 80s and the in the teens as opposed to a story that is set in the 50s and the 80s where it's plausible that a clown would at all be a draw for a kid (laughs) i like the idea that in a previous incarnation, he like, you know, he had that Bob Gray persona and existed as that outside of Pennywise at times. Mm-hmm. I just, man, that's a gosh that the 1800 cycle of, of it probably was pretty <laughs> fucked. Uh, yeah, specifically. Well, we can talk about that too. Uh, Cause that links to my, one of my other favorite scenes of the movie is uh, Beverly's return to her old house. Uh, yes yeah and that's that's where we get the glimpse uh we get the glimpse at the you know the, the bob gray persona both in um both in the uh the, the photo and in uh real life as as part of the scare uh it was genius for them to use this as the uh as as the trailer i think and it it worked you know i think you know it worked very well in the in the movie itself but just like the visual of that big lanky grandma monster coming at beverly with her with her floppy tits out very it reminds me very much of my favorite scare from it follows Mm -hmm. um if you know the one i'm talking about but the the great part about it my that scene specifically to me is is, you can see the kitchen behind beverly it's framed in such a way that you can see it over her shoulder and by the kitchen i mean the doorway to the kitchen which is completely darkened of course Uh as any room with pennywise is right (laughs) and you just see the the old lady just like poke her head out like just checking in Mm -hmm. and (laughs) then she likes (laughs) does this weird scuttling off motion it's so good yeah whoever they got to either that that actress or the the direction that they gave her to make her look as unnatural as possible Mm-hmm. um just you know chef fingers kiss emoji <laughs> yeah and like that that scene uh i've seen i read that scene in the book and like they're like that's probably the best i think scene translation in from book to movie that for my money mm-hmm. because the what was great about that scene in the book is the slow realization that like the, <laughs> there's something wrong with this woman i'm being forced to talk to and <laughs> the, the the way they get that across in the movie where she just shoots her down with don't be so polite is a, <laughs> that is a good like needle drop yeah <laughs> i love it I, I love how she just is kind of like frozen in place and can't can't bring herself to leave very good so to connect that to the Bob Gray thought, as she's trying to escape from floppy tit grandma, she uh, 
sees a door and she opens it to well she sees pictures first of all and the lady claims to be a descendant of bob gray Mm -hmm. like that's the her first not first clue but like definitive proof that oh no i'm in a very bad place right now yeah um so as she's running away she opens a door and she sees pennywise in his bob gray persona (sighs) angrily putting on his makeup i loved it that when he specifically when he puts his fingers into his skin to draw out the makeup, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> yep. I love that kind of thing. That's incredibly that so good. good design, and he never <laughs> he never breaks eye contact with her, but her, but his eyes are kind of wandering, and he's got the drool going on. There's just something uh, about the vacant drool. Uh, the, gosh, the, the, I wonder <laughs> good. when he records the scenes where his eyes wander if he actually has somebody there or if he's like just sort of staring off. I think he. I bet he doesn't have anybody there. I, I, you know, I don't. I don't have the ability to to, to do that. <laughs> it seems like it would be harder if there was something that was drawing the focus of your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, Bill Skarsgård, good job. Yeah. Uh, big, big, big thumbs up. Um, do you have any other? Do you have another scene you want to talk about? So let's see. Uh, I thought uh, Richie's uh, scene with the lumberjack was fantastic. Was that actually a Street Fighter game? Yes. So this is uh, the thing that almost made me get up and walk out of the movie. Uh, (laughs) So first off, they did use, I believe, the original Street Fighter, which would have been appropriate for 1989. Um, Oh, you mean the one that was translated as like Fight Street? Something like that, yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, so Street Street Fighter One had you know Ken and Rio. However, the uh, the 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 control array was not correct. They had the, uh, the you know it was the joystick and the three buttons. I think there were fewer in the yeah, original Street the, Fighter. It was the, the one that Street had like Fighter the pads. Cabinet, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the cabinet was two, but the game was wrong. Got it. That's, yes. I was so curious, like because I was like, this doesn't seem so wrong to be like inaccurate but something's wrong here the the, th- the thing that bugged me is that so so they they made sure to at least make the game the correct era you know street fighter coming out in 91 i believe the, the movie taking place in 89 but in a li- like a later scene richie like that that still takes place in the uh in, in the 80s richie runs past a mortal a mortal combat cabinet Ugh. And I, you got no, no. I'm going to ask for a <laughs> refund because of this. Not really. I just it was it, it was amusing to me to, you know. I, I feel uh, I feel superior by pointing out mistakes that professionals make. It's such a it's such a curse to know as much about video games because you're just going to watch it. Like, well, what's that? There's some dumb uh, network TV show that used Prince of Persia 2008 <laughs> as like a visual like. Yeah, and it was just like they were talking about some online coding bullshit, and it's like it's Prince of Persia. He's pressing a QTE. What are you talking yeah. about? It was like there were some government secrets that somebody encoded into the video game, and you had to play to the end to get them. It was so uh, dumb. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, but his sequence specifically when he um, sat down and got scared by the Paul Bunyan statue. Mm-hmm. When the 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 texture on the material of paul bunyan as it opened its mouth and like broke in front of him i was just so i was so in love with the detail work just like that crazy like almost plastic you know shredding and webbing that happens Mm -hmm. like as you know like what's important is the big mall full of the teeth everything else just turns into this dead leather almost um yeah big thumbs up to that (laughs) yeah Mm. Uh, um, uh, a non-horror scene that i greatly enjoyed i thought that stephen king's cameo was fantastic 
Oh, that's who that was. I wondered why everyone in the audience went, ooh. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the fact that he's that, that he put on that incredibly thick down north accent um, and he dissed Bill Denbro for having bad endings to his stories and the fact that that was a running gag throughout all of it. Um, you know, much, you know, much. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, let me just let me we got to talk about this for a second, because one thing about the book that specifically um, I noticed when I was reading was, hmm, Bill Denborough was always meant to sort of represent Stephen King in a way. Right. Bill Denborough is based off of Peter Straub. Uh, which, which, <laughs> which is a Stephen King friend, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote, uh, co-wrote The Talisman and Black House with. Ah, uh, yes, yes. But it's still a, a, a main protagonist who is a writer. So there's going to be some Stephen King in there. Yeah, so the part where he's in his English class, this is not in the movie, just in the book, where he's in his English class and the professor is going on and on about socio-political readings and Bill just absolutely rejects that and is like, all stories are just stories. Yeah. And, man, I really got to admire Stephen King's... Um, brutal and blunt relationship with being a writer sometimes mm -hmm. it's so like there's it doesn't feel like there's any filter to it and mm -hmm. he's very upfront about his emotions about what it means to be a writer because like man the bits where it's like okay there's also no this is actually a, a bit with richie in the book but there's a bit where he talks about how you have to take the crazy person inside of you mm -hmm. and uh chain him up and that's how you get things done yeah. and it's like man stephen king that's not a normal work <laughs> ethic but okay <laughs> it's like okay you, you you've obviously thought of this you're putting your own you're you know, you're you're putting a lot of yourself in here and that is that, that, that is good and relatable even if it is completely unhealthy Yes, a hundred percent. But yeah, I was the only person in the theater laughing out loud, um, extremely out loud at the gag about the bad endings. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, just the I just could I, I was the entire time I was just thinking so hard about it because it's one of those things where I'm always it, it's very self-aware. And at the same time, it's like, but do you accept the criticism or no? But, well, now that I know it's Stephen King, it's like, I don't, I just don't know. He doesn't care about endings. Yeah, I, yeah. I accept that. He uh -huh. doesn't care. I care. So the mm -hmm. fact that I care is not on him. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much where he comes down on it too, publicly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fascinating stance. And like you read it and it's like, it's definitely a journey kind of book. Mm -hmm. It's not a destination. Cause like, what's the destination? Like, like literally my least favorite bits of this entire movie are the ending, like the, the literal ending. And it's like, okay, I get it. It's really not about that part. Yeah. It really, really isn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Why is the song Morning Angel by Juice Newton funny? I don't. What happened there? I don't I, understand. I don't they know. Were, that was the third vomit shot of the movie. Yep. And so my thought is maybe it was Eddie trying. It was it broke Eddie so much that he had to, like, think of something that wouldn't make him break in the moment. <laughs> But that's it. That's the only thing I got. Yeah. I, I've got no idea. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know why it was funny when they used it for the opening of Deadpool. Um, I don't know why they use that little snippet here. Like I, I laughed because it's out of, you know, out of nowhere, but. Huh. 
Ooh, yeah, that that gag, it's, um, hmm. It definitely feels like the wrong decision in the end, but, mm-hmm. like, it caught me off guard when it happened. <laughs> oh. Uh, give me another scene. Boy, what else was, uh, uh, I really, like... Can we talk about the confrontation with it at the end at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah. That would be fine, right? All right. So that, like, the actual, the, the, hmm. Okay, well, actually, this, there, there's a big problem with this scene. And uh, so, well, I say problem. How did you feel about Mike lying to them? Uh, it felt unnecessary. Uh, like, yes, it, like an It, it an didn't unnecessary... feel motivated. And it was specifically at the 11th hour. It was so close to endgame that and like this was a sequence that had multiple false starts where it's like, let's try this. Oh, no, let's try this. Oh, no. And Mm -hmm. I get that you have to do a few of those. But that one in particular just felt like like nothing about Mike's past would suggest that he would be fundamentally broken in this way, you know? Like if if it was built more into the narrative of like this was his brokenness of lying mm-hmm. and um uh just uh misleading like something like that I don't know it just mm-hmm. didn't feel right they 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 lay no track with Mike you know he is there to bring everybody together and give them uh, you know the the blueprint for what they need it's not even treated really as unusual the fact that he li- lives in the attic of the of the library and you know has a crazy layer of you know maps all with string and yarn you know string and pins and stuff like that like it's not really remarked upon it's you know. skipped entirely that he's the only one who's not successful right. um though to be fair the only indication that Beverly's successful is her closet full of clothes Yes. In the movie? Again, a couple of offhand comments. Like, she's talking with Bill, and he says, oh, so you filled half my wife's wardrobe. Oh, I did miss yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did not care for the fact that they had Mike uh, a lot lie to them um, and lie very stupidly by uh, scratching out one of the sides of the dumb magic leather box. <sighs> So, like, again, thinking movie executive style, say you folded Ben and Mike into one character, then you Mm -hmm. could make his insecurity about losing Beverly part of that reason why he doesn't want to let them know that there's a fail state. Like, Mm -hmm. you could make that work in a better way. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Um, Or you could make it part of his... You know, (laughs) part of asking for the buy-in to say, like, hey, you know, we're not coming back from this. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Which is, like, it feels like that's... Okay, so that's sold much better in the book, that we're not coming back. And um, I think, at least. And Mm -hmm. another thing that I think is sold much better in the book that I did want to get across is I think... I don't think the movies do a good job of selling Pennywise as it. Yeah. They sell it as Pennywise. Yep. No, like Pennywise is just one of the forms, and it's a huge reveal in the original miniseries for as much as it is, you know, laughed at for being bad special effects, and it is. It's a huge reveal that it is actually this gigantic cosmic spider who lives beneath the city, not just in the (laughs) sewers, but, like, in the ancient, like, warrens beneath, you know, the catacombs beneath the so-and-so, right? Like, that is such a big deal, you know, and when it's revealed that 
that the spider isn't even its actual form. Yeah, the movie, it takes all of that and turns into, okay, Pennywise is just, you know, st stomping around and he has a, he has the lower half of a spider's body like he's Qu Quillag from Dark Souls. <laughs> I did love the look of that. <laughs> It was in the I, new movie. It was it was goofy and not scary and not in necessarily the best way. I'm I'm down for I'm, I'm down for something that is that is trying to be scary but ending up as goofy. But it didn't it just didn't land for me. Um, and that also cuts out one of the bigger horrors of this, um, which is when they get into Pennywise when they get into its lair and see all the eggs. They're like, oh shit! It's a mama and it's multiplying. And Ooh, yeah, that's not there. <laughs> it's it's not there at all. And just the the instinctual revulsion that they feel at this, and the fact that all of them go into a frenzy trying to break the eggs. Um, yeah, that like all like all of that is gone and not really replaced with anything interesting. Again, making it much less of a of a of a cosmic story or a story about kind of an extending elemental corruption, right? Yeah, very much. There are definitely like there there are large sequences. I guess I guess I can't say large sequences, but there's definitely a few minutes of just like hard lulls mm -hmm. that do nothing. Yeah, um, and I was, <laughs> I think that the, the the final encounter kind of taking place with all of them being sent to their own personal black bug rooms or whatever, like that was a questionable the questionable decision that was saved by. Richie and Eddie being sent uh, to the three doors, the not scary at all, scary and very scary. <laughs> so that is the one time where I thought that the movie uh, did a, did a very smart uh, thematic choice of doing trying to recreate the echoes mm -hmm. specifically. Like it took the the one like because that when we talked about the first movie, we were both very enthusiastic about that original scene. It was great and. Uh, and so it makes sense, of course, that I think the movie should echo its best scene in the second movie and, of mm -hmm. course, try something very different or not very different. But it's like it's an, it's a logical extension of the joke. Yeah. You know, where oh, we we went through this before we made the wrong decision before. Let's do the let's let's try and outsmart this. And no, you can't because it's a trap. You dummies. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't I can't believe how long they stayed talking to that dog behind the not scary at all. door. <laughs> It's like, come on, you've learned this, surely, by this point, guys. <laughs> but, but the fact that the Not Scary at All door just matched what Richie joked about, and they, <laughs> and they still fell for it. <laughs> like, there's no way we can kill this dog, can we? <laughs> um, the... Uh... The the one the the best part about that scene was when they walked away. I don't remember who said which line, but one of them said, uh, "Next time we're choosing the, we're just choosing the scary door," and then they just <laughs> replied, "Next time." <laughs> oh man, that that could have been an ad lib. Those the, those two <laughs> actors had really had really good patter. <laughs> it was a good it was a good little bit. Yeah, but like I didn't understand why Ben was being buried alive. That didn't make an awful lot of sense. Be Be Beverly that was shoehorned that whole him in the gosh, yeah, that 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 felt more like a Stanley thing than a Ben thing. It didn't yeah. really add. No, and no. Ben was muddled. The entire thing was muddled, and he didn't have like God. He barely had a thing to do in that movie. He existed to, um. To be the true love of Beverly's life that she didn't realize was there. And that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that's all. <sighs> and then, of course, uh, what was it? It was the revelation that Bill was faking sick that morning so he wouldn't have to play in the rain. 
that like that that, that that was why he felt guilty about it i don't believe that is represented in the book that's fine like him conquering georgie's death and getting closure over it and stopping to bl- stopping to blame himself i'm i'm good i'm good with that being his the thing that that breaks him through yeah that didn't bother me at all i thought bill bill was fine i'd have mm-hmm. no issue with bill richie and eddie i think all have relatively good and complete arcs yeah and then the problems are with the other ones. Well, not so Stanley so much. Stanley kind of gets a pass, except for his ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and and then, uh, do you have anything else you want to say about the uh, uh, about the about the final confrontation before we talk about how it ends? The final confrontation. <laughs> I'm trying to like sequence. It's a whole. Gosh, that final confrontation is a good chunk it's of half the hour ending. Long. Yeah, oh, so what is the time count on this movie? I was surprised we got out at 2 a.m. I think it's like two and a half hours long, something like that. Yeah, let me let me look it, here. 169 minutes, boy. so damn near uh, damn near three hours. Jesus Christ, no wonder. Okay, so yeah, the, um, the ending sequence, uh, I think we covered most of my thoughts. Like, the special effects were kind of all over the place. The, uh, I do, the, clearly the book has a better, hmm, you know, the fact that they had to, they chose to split this into two m- movies means that fundamentally this climax just had to be just so radically different. But yeah. like losing the eggs is a bummer. Like the eggs was the were the eggs. Here's a, here's a question. Were the eggs in response to being weakened the first time? No, no. It, it had just been laying them. Uh, it's, it's not laid out. The, it's not laid out why it was laying the eggs. Okay, so the eggs theoretically were there in mm-hmm. the first encounter. Right. Oh, man, that's so cool. That's so much cooler. I like that yeah. so much more. Mm-hmm. Well, and <laughs> and so, you know, just a, a, again doing doing the movie book comparison, what the, the the trick that they do by locking it into a form they can kill, um that's from the uh that that's from the kind of the climax of the kids section where they trap the werewolf in Nybold Street. Like, okay, it's going to change form to whatever we're afraid of, so everybody be afraid of werewolves right now. So the so the silver slug can can hurt it. Um yeah. they took that here. The conclusion of the book, like it has um <laughs> like Bill and then Eddie, I think, uh basically being flung out into the cosmos and arguing the deadlights into not existing specifically with bill getting over his stutter by reciting his uh by, by finally being able to recite the tongue twister that had from his therapy that, that had always messed him up you know the uh, post of the ghost or whatever. yeah yeah you know uh with 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 uh bravest risk and dare <laughs> with, with biggest risk and bravest boast he slams his fists against the post and silences he sees the ghosts uh-huh. Yeah, so, so, something like that, and it is only the act of overcoming this lifelong, you know, childhood limitation of his that eventually, and using the power of that uh, of of growing up and surmounting as a mantra, that he is able to um, banish Pennywise, banish it uh, back to the deadlights. Yeah, I don't think kind, I have kind of more... impossible to film. <laughs> yeah, that is. Um... They definitely, like, what options did they really have? Like, that's definitely, like, they, he probably sat with his screenwriter in a room for an afternoon, and it's like, what the hell do we do with this? Yeah. (laughs) You ever seen, you know, do you know Party Down? Yeah. And there's that scene where they, um, 
the the Romans talking to the guy, the the, the sci fi writer, and he has this fucking outlandish, unfilmable, um, <laughs> like non body sci fi creature, and mm-hmm. they just go through so many loopholes. That's what I got to imagine happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame them for trying to uh, for, for for changing it in order to be more more filmable. Although it is ridiculous that in the original television miniseries they did approximate that. Yeah. Ridiculous. Gosh, I might just go back to watch the ending of the TV series. Oh, do I'm it. just curious how they did it now. I for, completely forgot because like what stood out to me about the TV series was definitely more, you know, the Tim Curry centric scenes. Yes, um, it, it is definitely worth going and looking at specifically for its made for TV uh, budget special effects. They did a good job with what they had, you know. Oh, 100%. I don't envy, I don't envy anybody ever making TV movies. No, no, I, I, I do not mean that to like in, in denigration. It's more about the era as well. That was a, that was a huge event, and it actually did have a bunch of money on it. Um, but most of it was spent on the cast, I believe. Yeah, um, that's that's pretty much all I've got. You know, and so, so the real ending then, like the actual ending, the Lord of the Rings style ending. Yeah, the where where it's fifteen different false ones. Yeah, then, then oh jumping into the gosh. reservoir and all that. Yeah, so yeah. Let's see. They they first they got to walk through the they got to walk through the town of Derry where no one is mm-hmm. to, to show you that they've you know uh, conquered the boss. Oh, and um, uh, it was a uh, what's the TV tropes term? Uh, structure. Uh, he was he was stuff. a load bearing boss. There we go. He was a load bearing boss, and the, su- the sewers of Derry collapse when he's defeated. How yeah. is the town not just completely sunken into the ground at this point? That's that, that, that's them approximating something from the book where it was Pennywise's presence that basically kept the weather from tearing the town apart. You know, they talk about how the barons would always flood and the fact that like all of these sewers had to be constantly revised because basically dairy should by all rights be underwater without Pennywise there. This huge <sighs> storm comes in and most of the town is destroyed. And that is dealt with in other, in other uh, books that take place in dairy after this. So insomniac and Dreamcatcher. Um, you know, just how different the town is after the great flood of 86. Interesting. And that, yeah. see, that's another thing. Again, the book gets a lot, a little bit better at than the movie is where mm-hmm. it can sell it as not, you know, being perhaps dairy itself rather yeah. than just an aspect of dairy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just the, the fact that dairy cannot exist without, without it. Um, and that everything there in some ways exists to serve it as kind of outlined by the fact that like Pennywise can just decide what adults see and, you know, that this is just a big buffet that he can come, you know, come back to every 27 years. Well, Cole, here's what I bet. If the, in 10 years, the Netflix streaming revolution is still happening, they'll, <laughs> they're going to have Stephen King in an ultra exclusive deal contract, and he's going to give them the rights to do an it miniseries that's mm-hmm. a 10 hour, 10 part long, just like you've always hoped. Yeah. I don't know about always hoped. It just seemed like it would have been a better fit. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to be, you know, too, too terribly disappointed. I just I just thought like, OK, do you break this into three movies? Is that tenable? Probably not. No, I can't. You know? I don't even see how that would happen. Like I just yeah, movies seems like the wrong format. It's too it's a big story. Mm-hmm. It's a big story. Yeah. So that's why Maybe get, like good four movies, but like four movies would just basically be 
two four hour episodes. So yeah, yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Four mm-hmm. two hour episodes. Yeah, and that's why I get you know nervous about you know them talking about okay we're going to remake the stand and it's like all right you're gonna do that in what three movies five movies what are you what are you doing you know when the Dark Tower movies were more of a going concern I was really hardened by the idea that they had this mixed um, movie and television series kind of kind of story going along or plan mm-hmm. going along it just it just seemed, it seemed like the better the better idea for for books that are as big and sweeping as this man uh the uh how i didn't want to make a, a an mcu joke but i did like i during the ending sequence i was like a hundred percent thinking of every variation of like you know the man in black shows up and is like the turtle needs you <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they cut the turtle out of this entirely. Um, oh, the, yeah, it's yeah. completely gone. Yeah, like so in the first movie, uh, the, the 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 basically there is like the the can of turtle wax that Georgie goes to get, and in this one there is a prominent turtle sit- uh, stuffed turtle sitting on a on a teacher's desk. So the idea that the turtle is watching over them, but they cut out that connection. Like the idea that this turtle, which is in the in the greater series, you know, said to be Maturin, you know, one of the guardians of the beam, the actual ones, not the cyborg ones you know standing and basically talking to bill <laughs> if, if someone's watching this like i just watched it what are you talking about cyborg guardians of the beast uh, yeah <laughs> man you guys got to get to deep dark tower you're yeah. missing out <laughs> but uh but 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 the turtle like you know he's talking about like hey I'm, I'm not god there is another and that other is is confirmed to be gan to be you know the the, the greater force of the white that uh the crimson king is standing against so like anything that would connect the movie version of it to the greater dark tower mythos is completely severed. Yeah. I'm glad you saw the turtles. Cause I, I had to imagine they put something like that in there. Cause yeah. that's like, I, I got to imagine that's part of Stephen King's contract is like, connect <laughs> this to my multiverse. Please, please, <laughs> you know, at the, like at the very least it, 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 it's fine. If it's un, un, unintrusive, some dork out there is going to notice it and it will be good. So, yeah, like that's additive. That's just the fact that it's there is additive. Mm-hmm. I, especially if you know the book and like, I totally get why that's a part of because like that's a harder <laughs> sell to tell people like, oh, also there's a giant turtle god and like its arch enemy is this clown. Well, it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. One of its enemies is this clown monster from mm-hmm. outer space. Just yeah. saying. So, yeah, I think a big ask is probably the right way to phrase that. It's uh, it, it is incredibly dorky on its face. Um, and when it's arrived at in the book, um, you know, it is a little bit dorky, but at least they have, they have justified it enough. Okay. So they jump off the, they jump off the, the, the cliff into the ravine below and have a nice splish splash in the water after they walk through downtown and no one's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ben and Bev do a, a gross underwater kiss. Yeah, uh, they're down there for a while. <laughs> down there for a water, the while. I'm sure you were thinking about how nasty that water is. Yeah, their mouths are um, pretty much open. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I was definitely the, uh, I, I was the Stanley in that situation. And like, no matter how much they think, they were just in the sewer. You were just <laughs> in the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, but then they talk and, you know, they 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 reminisce and then they get the letters and stuff like that. It's everyone does much. a big hug centered around Bill Hader. It's very cute. Yeah, yeah. And 
Bill Hader has the hair that has Robin Williams level of hair. Holy shit. Dude is carpeted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, this this specifically has made me want to go watch Barry. I'd been meaning to go. I've been meaning to see that for a while. That's Bill Hader's series on HBO, right? Where is the hitman? Yeah, like it. it is very good and uh, very smart. I will I will take your recommendation then. I I, yeah. uh, I still have HBO now from when I watched Chernobyl, so I can fire that up. Yes, everyone. Uh, yes, if you like Bill Hader, uh, for everyone here, if you like Bill Hader in It Chapter Two, Barry is another fantastic display of his acting prowess. Fantastic. I don't know that I have any other thoughts. Um trying to think anything else about that ending it just keeps going for a bit the scene between him and mike reading stanley's letter is literally like five minutes long it makes no sense to me yeah um oh and the actor who played stanley gets one extra camera shot where he looks right into the camera like i knew this was gonna happen all along (laughs) uh yeah Uh, when i was talking about eddie being the one who looked most like his younger form they 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 were safe to just cast a a fucking doppelganger i I wouldn't be surprised if the person that they got to play stanley was like that kid's dad i was very impressed with how much old stanley looked like young stanley yeah it was surprising (laughs) it's like it's like beverly said at the beginning like oh it's it's you but taller I think, yes, I can safely say I have gotten it out of my system. Nice. Well, (laughs) I I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun talking about this with you. Um, And I'm looking forward to having you back on to talk about the book. Oh, yes. I'm very excited about that. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much, Cole. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Where can people find you online? You know, right now, the best place is just join the Duck Feed community Slack. I'm on there a bunch trying to get my online presence up again, but I don't have any creative projects off the ground yet, but uh, maybe in the future. Yeah. Well, uh, we love having you there. You had a lot. Thank you. Thank Um, you so much. Yeah. Uh, so for me, you know, the usual stuff, other shows here on duckfeed.tv, you can watch my horror game streams on the weekends, um, uh, at, uh, twitch.tv slash duckfeedtv. Um, I, it makes no sense to talk about what I'm streaming tonight because this episode will not come out for a few days. So just watch for those. Otherwise though, uh, come back. <laughs> Come back well, ne- what if I want to know, Cole? Oh, uh, tonight I, I am uh, streaming uh, Silent Hill Origins or beginning this, oh, uh, the stream of Silent Hill. I, I remember uh, disliking that game and I want to figure out why. <laughs> well, I'll so. watch tonight and everyone else can watch on YouTube when cool. it comes up. Yeah. Um, but the thing I want you to do most is uh, come back next time. We are here continuing with the... Uh, you know, this this uh, season of the show, I think we're going to hit some of the short stories that uh, undergird uh, book seven here, either uh, uh, low med and yellow coats or everything's eventual. Still figuring it out, but uh, looking forward to seeing you next time. And until then, long days and pleasant nights. <laughs>